and welcome to Unnecessary Angst, the YA podcast. Oh, we're adding YA this week. I like <laughs> Make sure everyone knows exactly what it's we're here YA. for. It's YA. It's two uh, mid-20-somethings talking about an audience genre that they are not fit for, but here yeah, we are. I feel like the majority of my friends who are our age still read YA, though. It's really funny. Like, what's it's, wrong with us? I, you know what? We just miss our childhood innocence. <laughs> exactly. I think that's what it we is. Love, we love watching teenage angst. We do. reading. <laughs> well, it feels like you're watching it sometimes, <laughs> yeah. you know? But, um, no, we, we really do. And I think it's nice to have... Like, the pureness of teenage angst without all of the, like, crazy romance of new adult, which is what the other part of our age group is reading. Um, I saw a TikTok from Chloe Gong earlier today, and she was like, why do you all keep asking me if there's spice in my books about teenagers? Stop it. (laughs) She's, She's right, though. Oh, but you haven't, you have not read the third book in the Shatter Me series, so we'll talk about Spice in YA when you get there. But it's, like, so fantasy that, like, I honestly don't know what Juliet's age is. (laughs) Uh, Isn't she 19? Uh, is she? I don't remember. I I feel like she was younger, but that could have just been me because I read it when I was really young. I also might be mixing it up because Feyre is 19 in A Court of Thorns and Roses, and that book is dirty (laughs) compared to normal YA. I think Juliet might be 17, but I could be wrong. I don't know. No, Juliet's a teenager. Oh, wait. I'm thinking which Juliet? No, Juliet and Shatter (laughs) Me. I don't know. Juliet in. Chloe's These... book is 19. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, is she? Re- oh, yeah, because she was in golf. I'm so yeah. confused. This is not the book. None of these are the book <laughs> we're here to talk about today, but that's no. fine. Before we get into that, Julia, what are you drinking today? How are you doing? Um, I'm drinking a gin and Coca-Cola, which I think probably best illustrates how I've been feeling. <laughs> I just finished my Second semester, and I almost said first. <laughs> my second <laughs> semester, that's how it's going. I mean, my first year, I guess. You finished your first in, year? Um, grad school, yes, I did. Uh, it doesn't feel like it, because I have a summer class starting up in a couple weeks, so it's just not really, like, it hasn't sunk in. I got a co-op, so that's, I'm feeling pretty good about that. Um, and I've been trying to catch up on sleep that literally we were supposed to record last night i was exhausted yesterday i had so many assignments due this past week it was just like i've been so tired i think because i was so tired from the assignments and now that i don't have them i'm even more tired because i'm like letting myself relax (laughs) the adrenaline has left your body (laughs) it's gone (laughs) yeah so that's been me how are you doing how was your trip I'm good. My trip was good. It was nice to kind of get away for a little while and just not think about work because I feel like I've been doing work, work, work 24-7. Um, mm. Now, I have officially gotten to a point, I think since the last time that we talked, where I have too many books started because I'm like, mm, I'm in the mood to read this thing and I keep starting new books and it's a severe problem. I think there's like eight or nine books started on my Goodreads right now. 
um, that I'm actively supposed to be reading. So I'm, I'm getting into my head a little bit, a little stressed with my TBR right now. Um, I have, <laughs> which is like all my mind is thinking about. So obviously Cruel Prince I've been reading. Um, I have The Bridge Kingdom on audiobook because everyone says it's this, like great enemies to lovers. It's free on Audible, so I'm not bad at it <laughs> for a free book. Uh, I'm reading King of No, yeah, King of Wolves. King of Scars. No, King of Rule, wolves, of wolves. Yeah. Rule of Wolves. Rule of Wolves. Um, <laughs> King of. <laughs> uh, I can never mine. get names right. Um, rule. I think it's Rule of Wolves, which is very very good. I haven't picked it up in a few days, but it's very good. Except. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm just going to say they killed a character that was very near and dear to my heart. And I'm still hurting. And that was like, like a halfway. major character? A character that is very near and dear to my heart. And I am struggling. <laughs> that did not answer my question. Well, I can't. What do you consider major? Like a pivotal role in the plot. They're not a, they're not a POV character. Okay. That doesn't answer my question. I, it depends what you consider pivotal. Like, I think that they're pivotal to the plot, but I don't know that everyone would agree with me, but I just have, like, a, a very strong love for this character. And um, I will say they are my favorite Grisha. And my favorite okay. Grisha uh, died and it. Halfway through the died. I was crying. Skyla was I'm laughing at, me. at your misery. Right <laughs> and so, like after I I read a little bit after that into the second part of the book, but after the the character died, I really just needed to like take a step back. And I'm gonna come back to Rule of Wolves once I fully process that death and like am capable. Uh, I finished the first Akatar book and am now reading A Court of Mist and Fury. Which is infinitely better than A Court of Thorns and Roses. Oh, so really? much better. The second book is yeah, I should try it. so much better. The first book is like a bad Beauty and the Beast retelling. I did not. I tried it and I don't think I even got halfway. Now, what I will say about the entire series, I don't think it's for you. <laughs> okay, great. Thank you for letting me know. Um, The reason for that, you're generally not the biggest, like... I'm here for the spice kind of a reader. No. And that's a lot of what people read these books for. Also, you are not the kind of person that likes animal parts on people's bodies. No, I do not. We have made that clear with Cruel Prince. Yes, we have. And the entirety of the, like, attractive men in the Akatar fandom all all have bat wings. Oh my god, okay. They're no, fairies with that. giant bat wings, and they they collectively call them the Bat Boys. I think, like, the reason I like the Cruel Prince, alright, is, like, or I make an exception for it, is because Jude is human, and there's a lot of other humans in the plot, so it's mm-hmm. like, I can make that exception. That, I'm not sure I can make an exception. Well, and they, I mean, I don't think the wings are that weird, personally, but that's also because I grew up watching X-Men, and so you have, like, winged characters in the X-Men, like, you have mechanical wings on, like, Falcon and the Marvel Universe, so, like, 
that stuff's just not that strange. Wings are not that strange to me. And um, maybe that's my, like, angels, right? Angels have wings. Like, that's just not a weird concept to me to be on a person. Um, but for the most part, everyone is a fairy of some sort. And then you have human girls that are in the plot, but they all eventually become fairies. I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> it's, it's very fairy-centric, not so much... Like, the Jude and Cardin vibe. And I think the Jude and Cardin vibe's a little bit easier to get on board with. But yeah, so making progress through that. I just got Unravel Me from the library last night. So I'm going to start that. Oh my once. god, I'm going to reread it while you read it. I need to finish one of these other books first. Um, but That's I will fine. read Unravel Me at some point. I'm reading The Princess Diaries with Skyla. I'm reading The Iliad eventually. Um... <laughs> Casual. Just casual. I have reading. like a non fiction book that has been started on my Kindle for forever that I need to come back around to. And then I started while I was on vacation The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. And so oh I'm God. like 130 pages into that. Oh like, boy. This is the worst it's ever been for me. So I've been um I've been struggling a little bit to finish a book, but it's fine. I've got my wine. I'm drinking a Syrah tonight. <laughs> You're numbing the pain of all numbing these Numbing the pain. I'm going to try to finish something tonight after we finish recording and we'll, you know, slowly start taking them off. <laughs> yep. So, are you ready to talk about Jude and Carden? I guess so. Are you ready? I am, because we got some, ironically enough, we got some spice in this chapter. I know. (laughs) Very minimal, very uncomfortable. I would say it's a lot of spice for both of them. It's a, well, actually, I don't know if it's a lot of spice for Cardin. Maybe spice because he actually feels emotions while it's happening for the first time, (laughs) but this is definitely not the most physical he's ever been with anyone. True. Maybe Jude. Jude is... It's spicy for Jude, especially because she's just like, oh my god, wait, I like this feeling? <laughs> what is this? There's a great quote that I highlighted that I'll bring up later. I think it's in chapter 27. Okay. Great. No, it's in chapter 26. I take that back. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Anyway. <laughs> All right. So let's get into it. So starting with chapter 26 and quick, quick recap of where we ended from chapter 25, uh, out of nowhere... Cardin admits to Jude that he's attracted to her and ashamed of himself for it. And so Jude, to fuck with him, kisses him, and the chapter ends. So chapter 26, we pick up in the middle of them kissing, and we just get to follow along with Jude's internal monologue while she's kissing Cardin. And she notes that she doesn't have experience kissing anyone other than Locke, but that kissing Cardin is super different from kissing Locke, and it feels like she knows she's about to drown (laughs) hopefully not physically but emotionally because if he's giving you that much saliva i'm concerned about him um cardin slowly starts touching her arms while they're making out and she knows he is doing it uh slowly to try and hold himself back because he doesn't want to want her but then he gives up and pulls her closer, ignoring the knife that she has to his throat. <laughs> and kisses her much harder, and she notes that she feels desire, 
But also that them making out feels like that they are fighting with their mouths. That's so romantic. Because it's Jude, and she doesn't know what romance is. Then she realizes that she enjoys kissing him, and that freaks her out. And then she actually comes to her senses and realizes that that is an absolutely insane way to try to take revenge on a person. Because... There's, you're not accomplishing any revenge. You're just both getting yourselves turned on. It, it won't work. Um, so she throws the knife away, and it makes a noise, and so he pulls back, startled, and then she backs away, asks him if that was what he had imagined in a really harsh voice, and he's like, no. <laughs> and then she asks for elaboration on that, and he refuses to elaborate on it, says even if she did... Even if she stabbed him, he wouldn't tell her. And that almost makes her laugh. And the whole dynamic is just so messed up. Um, Cardin offers her a proposal, not like a proposal, like getting down on one knee, but just like a proposal for the situation that they're in, saying that no matter what she just, what she decides to do, um, just to ask something for him as well, specifically to get lands that are so far away from Balakin that Balakin won't kill him, and that Cardin doesn't have to be involved in all of this crap at the court. And this impresses Jude, um, but she won't tell him that, because she's Jude. And so she tells him to get up, um, because they're going to go back into the other room. He asks if she is worried that he'll make a run for it, and she prattles off a series of sarcastic lies in response, which again weird response but her mind's all over the place and that disconcerts uh, that's disconcerting to him like hearing so many lies all at one time um and she reminds him that he has nowhere to go so there's nowhere really for him to run anyways so she's not that worried she walks out into the other room and tells all of them that she's going to take a walk and she also tells them she has the offer she needs from Maddox and for all of them to write down exactly what they want while she's gone so she walks to the Lake of Masks, and is just thinking there. She knows Balakin can't become the High King because he's too cruel and hates mortals, and he could wipe away all the rules on how they interact with the mortal worlds, make things harder for humans. So then she wonders what happens if she decides to turn Cardin over to Maddox and lets Maddox put Oak on the throne and rule as this like brutal regent, turning Oak into someone like, like Maddox or like Dane. And in that case, um, Jude could either just, like, leave with Vivi and wipe her hands of everything or stay and try to protect Oak as best as she possibly can. Her next thought is trying to cut Maddox out of the picture and crowning Oak herself or crowning him and putting him in exile for him to come back when he's ready so that Maddox can't make Oak bloodthirsty and kind of, like, ruin his childhood. And she just kind of ponders all these different options and makes a decision, knowing that Maddox wouldn't approve of her final decision because there's only one way to win and it's a long shot. And then she looks back at the lake and sees her mother's face and sees Maddox beside her from a long time ago. And it's the first time she's ever seen her mother's face in the Lake of Masks. She's always gone and looked for it. It's kind of poetic little moment. She comes back to the Court of Shadows uh, and only the bomb is awake making bombs true to her name jude grabs a bite to eat and asks the bomb what she's going to do after all of this and the bomb says that she's staying there with jude kind of no matter what and then 
and that Cardin said that if Jude was going to make a trade or betray them, she would have done it already, but clearly Jude has a plan. So Cardin's, like, being her hype man. so smart. He's being her hype man from the sidelines, which is just absolutely hilarious. Uh, Then the bomb tells her that none of the Court of Shadows like Balakin, but also if Jude wants them to be on her side, that she needs to stop being so cagey because they shouldn't be getting all of their information from her prisoner logically um she goes in to wake Cardin up and notes how handsome he looks this kiss changed her julia (laughs) changed her and she tells him she needs to talk to him and he just tries to shoo her away because he's sleepy but he gets up follows her looking sleepy and that makes jude feel things again uh, because once you've kissed someone, in case you all didn't That's know this. That's the quote that I love. <laughs> once you've kissed someone, that possibility is always there and it's hanging over you. Uh, she tells him she wants to make a deal saying there is an alternative to Balakin being king. And he's like, well, yeah, that alternative is me. And I'd be a terrible king. And also Balakin won't give me the crown. So dude, that's a dumb idea. <laughs> Um, and then she tells him about Oak, and he realizes that that would make Maddox regent, because Cardin is smart. We need to give him some level of credit. She <laughs> wants Cardin to help her, so we're finally getting her plan. She wants Cardin to help her spirit away Oak to the mortal realm, telling him um, that Vivi will take care of Oak, and she will give Cardin whatever he wants if he helps her, but that he needs to swear himself into her service. Because she doesn't trust him. So this, of course, makes him laugh. And he asks if she really wants him to put himself in her power voluntarily. Which, if I was guarded, I would not have done this. But whatever. Uh, She says that she's serious because she needs to be sure he won't betray her and steal the crown. And he tells her that he wants (laughs) his list of demands. He wants Hollow Hall to himself. Get Balakin pushed out of there. He wants all of the good wine in the cellars. Same. And he wants the roach to teach him how to steal because it could be useful and also he likes the roach. He just wants friends. He really does. Poor guy. But he's still asking someone to like make someone else his friend. Like he can't just do it Oh, God. But she agrees to give him all those things and promises that they'll thwart Balakin and get the crown. And then kind of just introspectively wonders to herself how many more promises she can make before she has to be (laughs) accountable for them. Which it's like, yeah, you need to stop making promises, Jude. But uh, whatever. He agrees to give his service for a year and a day. Oddly specific. Uh, which stresses her out, but he says that's enough time for her to get Oak out or for them to lose, and that she won't get a better offer, especially if she threatens him again, because he's kind of starting to get tired of all of her threats. Uh, He comes near her, and (laughs) she's worried that she's going to get lost in a kiss again, but he kneels and grabs her hand and swears into her service. She thinks he has somehow got the upper hand and that this deal is not going to work for her because she's always questioning everyone. Um, And then she basically orders him to go back to bed and says she'll give him instructions soon, so he does. And then she kind of just comments that it almost seems like he prefers this life in the shadows and just, like, this rambunctious 
you know, not structured life to his royal bedchambers. <laughs> that's chapter 26. A lot of emotional <laughs> movement. Yeah. <laughs> so chapter 27. Uh, June and Carden are outside near the tents of the monarchs, the Seely and Unseely courts. We're going to get to meet more people or creatures, whatever you want to call them. As they are trying to find a monarch. Fairies. Willing to I think the word fairies. you're looking for is fairies. <laughs> well, some of them I don't know if they count as fairies, but yeah. <laughs> as they're trying to find a monarch, monarch willing to back someone other than Balakin. Jade's plan requires her to smuggle Oak out of the dinner Balakin is having and isn't sure what she can offer a monarch. She knows if this plan is going to succeed, she needs to stay in fairy until the throne is ready for him. And she will stay on high alert to protect it till then. I typo. My bad. <laughs> Did she wrote the throne as in T H R O W N, which is not even a word instead of throne. It's fine. I was not going to say anything. It sounds the same. <laughs> Thank you for writing the synopsis down. That's all I care about. <laughs> so Cardin is grumbling that she is going to charm the royalty. Um, why he has to stay back and feed her information, while well, he has to stay back and feed her information, and she retorts that she's very charming and she charmed him. <laughs> uh, <laughs> questionable. I think he just kind of is an idiot, but it's fine. Yep. <laughs> she then gives him a slight warning and commands him to stay and wait for a day until she returns. If she doesn't return, um, that he has to go back to the Court of Shadows. I don't even know if he can, like, get back by himself, but it's fine. <laughs> They're, like, not really thinking here. Subsequently, she asks for information on Queen Anne from the Court of Moths. I think it's Annette. That must have been, like, autocorrect. It is Annette. It's fine. Um, We're calling her Queen Anne now. (laughs) Because I like it better. (laughs) Annette just sounds like, I'm sorry to any Annettes out there, but it sounds like, you know, like, the substitute teacher who was, like, always really mad at everyone and, like, couldn't get the class together. I'm sorry. I'm well, sorry. but I feel like it's also spelt weird. Like, it's A-N-N-E-T. A-N-N-E-T. That's Annette. Yeah. It's, like, not... That's not normal. Annette. Yeah. Um, so, anyways, she's trying to get Queen Annette from the Court of Moss because she apparently left first from the coronation, and Jude wants to know if it's because she hates Balakin specifically. Cardin says she's likely not going to impress Annette, Queen Annette, that um, she's likely not impressed that Balakin killed his whole bloodline. That was a weird way of saying whatever I just said, but you get it. <laughs> <laughs> because she hasn't been able to have a child yet. Oh, yeah, so murdering that many fey yeah. children is, like, a Probably big no-go. <laughs> Cardin tells her to take care because it would be boring for him to have to wait a whole day. She goes to Queen Annette's tent, saying she is sent by Billikin, and they reject her, and then threaten to eat her. And she doesn't seriously think that they will, but doesn't want to take any chances. That's sensible. Smart. Glad Finally. Yeah. She goes back to Cardin, and he tells her she did something wrong, and she knows it's true, although she's in denial, and that she needs to be a little more self-assured. She asks Cardin who he would go to, and he says Roybin and the Alder King's son Severin. He absentmindedly starts stroking her ear, and she likes it. <laughs> this was such a weird insert into this, like, dialogue. So unnecessary, and I loved it. And then they both 
both shudder away ashamed of themselves. Yucks, you're idiots. Carden tells her both of them have less to lose because they aren't publicly aligned to the crown already, and Severin likes mortals anyways. Um, because he has a wife and some sort of servant, I think, who's mortal. Or no, no, he's Sorry, not he's a wife. banging a mortal boy. That's right, I forgot. Mm-hmm. Royman has a consort he favors, so Jude shouldn't annoy her, and if she got his backing, Balakin would be nervous. Jude goes to Severn first, and apparently his court is very small and is not seely or unseely. She asks to speak to him to arrange a deal with Balakin, and the human boy questions her, but then Severn stands up and Jude tells him she needs to go back, she needs to talk to him alone, and the human boy tells Severn to fix Jude to unglamour her. I have questions here, but we'll get to it. <laughs> they get inside and sit, and she tells him that she is the messenger of the next High King, who will not be Bilikin, and she needs him to bear witness. He thinks it's going to be Cardin crowned, and agrees that Cardin is probably better than Bilikin. He also agrees to help at the banquet, as long as he is not the only one, since his court has little consequence. She walks towards the termite court and sneaks in, pretending to be a human servant, putting f- wood on the fire. She gets... Um, in her head, hoping she can strategize Madoc here, but is feeling nervous. She manages to sneak into the main tent and sees Roybin with his girlfriend eating Chinese food. She pauses to listen and then gets yanked out of the tent by Dulcimara, who then marches her into the tent and asks Roybin if she should snap Jude's neck. Roybin comes over to her and asks whose court she's a part of, and she says the true high king's. He doesn't believe her, but is intrigued, so invites her for food and tells Dulcimara to leave. Jude eats a dumpling, <laughs> and Roy Pin introduces his girlfriend and asks her name, and she admits it is Jude. She tells Roy Pin she can put something, someone other than Balakin on the throne, and he wants to know if it is someone better. Jude is taken aback because she thought Roybin didn't like Balakin, and he says he doesn't, but Balakin can potentially learn and has some stomach and guts. The was also a coward because he let Maddox kill Dane, and that weakness could be exploited. Damn, Roybin. I know. He is... I like Roybin, but <laughs> Jude tells him the same thing she told Severin. She needs him to bear witness at the party and says she doesn't want to tell him who the candidate is. He tells her he can torture it out of her, and she retorts that would make him as much a coward as Bilkin, and he agrees it would be more. Then he agrees but makes her promise that the king will owe her a favor, and she agrees for something of equal value within their power. With that, she leaves and heads back to Cardin. And that's the end of chapter 27. Oh, God, so many... Let's talk about 26, I know. Okay. Okay. What's what's your thoughts? Okay, so starting starting with the kiss, because that's where we start the chapter, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think it's a real strong start, to the chapter the it kind of just devolves from there over the course of chapter 26 and 27 but we start off really strong is the kiss super hella toxic yes 100 percent. is jude enjoying it for all of the wrong reasons also yes do i still love it yes <laughs> but like it's funny, I, I don't know, it's funny to me, because, like, Jude obviously didn't have fireworks with Locke. Like, she was just kind of 
there. Yeah. Like, her body was reacting, but it wasn't, like, anything, like, super exciting or interesting. And even though her and Carden are both actively trying to, like, not be into one another, they can't help it. And it's just... There are these, like... I'm just so ready for the fireworks to, like, actually happen. Because you can see them right under the surface in the way Jude describes everything. Like... One of the things she says about the the kiss, and I just really think that this quote is super poetic, like taking a dare to run over knives, like an adrenaline strike of lightning, like the moment when you've swum too far out in the sea and there is no going back, only cold black water closing over your head. Like, she's using really negative imagery, but also Jude doesn't know how to be positive, (laughs) like, at all, so... If she had the correct words and understanding of how she was feeling to actually, like, describe how she was feeling, think of the positive descriptions that she could use. Like, the negative imagery is at least showing us how much she's feeling out of this, and love and hate are a very fine line on the line of passion. Um, But she's definitely not... Right. But she's definitely not apathetic to Cardin, which would be where you have no fireworks at all. So, yeah, I really like the way that the whole thing was, like, laid out and described, even though we know, again, they're not ready for each other yet for a romantic relationship, but they're slowly at least starting to realize that, like, one aspect of their relationship could be there with, you know, that they both feel those vibes, even though they won't admit it to themselves. Yep. Um, yeah. Did you have any thoughts on that section? <laughs> Well, I, like, I, she brought up Locke, right? And I think with the whole Locke thing, it just reminds me so much of, like, your first kiss. Like, you are never going to forget your first kiss. Unless it was, like, really bad. But, like, I feel like most people don't, from my experience and, like, from what, I don't know about you, but, like, you don't forget who your first kiss was, like, in the circumstance that it happened in. Like, you're always going to compare any kisses that come after it to it whether you want to or not whether it was good or bad like you still like have it in the back of your mind and like the minute that you find someone else I mean I'm, I don't know this feeling but I'm assuming the minute you find someone else that you like are really into then and that like when you forget that first kiss is like the feeling of like okay maybe like there's something really good here that's my my assumption <laughs> I've never like been in love so I don't know but I mean, so I can at least speak from my high school experience, which is, I think, closest to where Jude's going to be right now. Mm-hmm. My very first, first kiss in high school was so bad. Like, absolutely horrible. But it was with a long-term, or what well, became a long-term boyfriend. So, like, kissing him got better over time. The whole situation got better. Mm. And so, like, I will look back on the relations with him fondly even though the first kiss was really crappy so I don't compare things to the first kiss I compare things to like how he was as a kisser as my like first love more broadly um okay but then like yeah the later boys I'm like I like vaguely remember I'm like oh they're okay whatever but it's very rare that I'm like oh that you know the the first kiss sticks in your mind in a way that the rest of the mediocre boys that you make out with in high school just, eh. Um, but here in this situation, it's funny because it's like she's comparing it back to Locke, but it almost feels like even though Locke was her first kiss, 
Cardin's kiss is going to be the one that she remembers. The one that she remembers, yeah. Because it's the first one that she actually has feelings associated with. Mm-hmm. Good or bad? <laughs> Again, she's not apathetic, so she will remember it. <laughs> yeah. Plus, she was, like, drunk on fairy wine or something half the time she was making out with Locke, so... I don't know how much she actually remembers kissing him. True. I had a really good first kiss, so I guess I'm, like, in a weird situation there, and it wasn't my first love. (laughs) Lucky you. Um, my, yeah, my first boyfriend got tired of waiting for us to have our first kiss, so he... (laughs) He kissed me in the hallway after third period. Wait, that's kind of cute, though. When everyone was walking around oh, us. I'm just kidding. <laughs> that's not romantic. <laughs> and it was my, he knew, he knew it was my first kiss ever. And I had to do it in front of like 900 people as I'm like trying to get to my next class. I was so uncomfortable. That's so awkward. I also wasn't prepared. Like, I didn't know it was going to happen. And so I I thought he was, like, leaving down to give me a hug. So I was, like, ready for a hug. And then all of a sudden he's kissing me. And I was like, what? Was Was that his first kiss, too? No. He was a senior. I was a sophomore. Um, Yeah. And then I got so mad at him because literally the night before that, we were in Seattle on a date. And there were so many opportunities. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. I was like, boy, really? <laughs> really? Um, so, yeah, but that'll just stick in my mind because of how bad it was. Not because, like, it was memorable in a positive way. <laughs> okay, enough, okay. Of, enough about <laughs> kissing boys. Um... I really liked that Jude's plot, like, while she's at the Lake of Masks and, like, trying to figure everything out, I love that, like, her final decision isn't explicitly given away at the beginning while she's figuring everything out. She's, I don't know, like, she's, like, talking through things, but it feels for the first time very calm for Jude, that she's, like, going through all these different scenarios, but she's almost having a moment of, like, quiet peace while she's at the lake, and it was peaceful for me. It was, like, one of the first times I haven't minded being in her brain, because most of the time I hate it. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) She's finally at peace. Yeah, I don't know. I really, I really liked it. I also really loved that Cardin was trying to, like, rally the spies around her, like he's like, yeah, she has she has a plan. She knows what she's doing. She's got this, guys. She's got all of our facts. And he's not throwing her under the bus. Like he's trying to like rally everyone's support for her and like stick up for her. And he has all this faith, completely unfounded faith in her that she knows what she's doing. Um, and I just, I really appreciate that blind faith that I don't know where it's coming from, from him, but it's very cute. <laughs> In, like, an adorable yeah. little puppy way. Yeah, he's, it's a puppy. <laughs> puppy, puppy. <laughs> he just wants love and attention and no one's giving it <laughs> I also, Jude, when she's talking to Cardin, she just, like, keeps reminding him like, out loud that she doesn't like him. 
And I feel it's like, like she's like reverse psychologizing herself. Exactly. That literally that's what I was going to say. It's like she verbally needs to hear it so she can keep uh, herself convinced because she's not sure that it's true. <laughs> Which uh wild. Um and then okay, I have a couple of thoughts about his oath, but do you have any thoughts about the rest of the chapter before that? I don't think so, no. Okay, so this is his his fealty oath. He says, Jude Duarte, daughter of Clay, I swear myself into your service. I will act as your hand. I will act as your shield. I will act in accordance with your will. Let it be so for one year and one day, and not for one minute more. Which, okay, not a bad oath. Okay, Cardin. Um, few thoughts, though, and I don't think I asked this when she made a similar thing with Dane or when she got her geas from Dane, but why are they saying daughter of clay? What are fairies made out of? I know. I've never quite understood that either. I think it's, like, that they come from the earth. I don't know. But what do fairies come... Is it because they're the folk of the air? Like, yeah, so they're, they're made like from air. different elements? I don't know. I don't understand. That's a great question. They're from plants? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Clay is running through our blood. We just don't know it. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess so. It just seems a bit strange. Um, can you can you imagine Cardin being her shield? Like, at all? I can't imagine that. He can't fight. No. What good is that? Absolutely not. I mean, but he could be, like, uh, a kind of... A non-physical shield, like, you know, he's got them through the, the coronation to into the back of the castle. Like, he knows his way around things. Yeah. yeah he'll use his words. <laughs> he'll use his words to protect them, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a fair point. Uh, okay. Got reverse gender roles here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... The the year and the day thing is really interesting to me. Like, is this a calendar year? Is this a fiscal year? Does he mean... <laughs> I don't think he means the fiscal year. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, imagine. <laughs> but is it like, is it like I give you a year and a day, like 365 days from this day? like, a full fiscal year from this starting point? Or is it, I give you till the end of the calendar year and then one day more, and then how long do we have left in the calendar year? It's a good question. Is there a loophole? <laughs> I think it's the full year, though, but... Okay. I'm hoping it's going to be the fiscal year, I guess. <laughs> I don't... <laughs> I mean, I'm hoping I mean, those, <laughs> it's simple and that it's just a full year. It's like 365 yeah, yeah, yeah. days or 366 day. days from this point. It just, Jude's so paranoid that he's doing something slippery. <laughs> so I actually started getting a little paranoid that he was doing something slippery. No, it's, uh, Jude has another trick under her sleeve and it kind of messes with it. That's why. Of course But we does. don't know what the trick is yet, so. Why is she like this? Can't she just not? I know. She is a Slytherin, I'm telling you. 
I there's a lot of Slytherins in these books. <laughs> it's funny though. It's funny reading this back though because I didn't see the trick coming at all. Like what happens later on and mm-hmm. why this affects it. I don't know. Like reading it back now, I'm like, oh, I should have seen that. But like you can't really. Well, I mean, so you could make a guess, but the one thing that's interesting to me, and I mean, I guess this is kind of chapter twenty-seven, but like. Jude doesn't correct Severin when he assumes it's Cardin. And she doesn't tell Royvin who they're putting on the throne. So she's still leaving it open for it to be Oak or Cardin. True. Interesting. And, like, I I feel, I mean, maybe it's that she doesn't want to betray Oak early. And I, I totally get that, and that's why you wouldn't want to say anything and, like, correct them. But also, if the two fairy lords are, like, assuming that they're going in to crown Cardin, and then all of a sudden they're being asked to crown a seven-year-old, that may confuse them, and they may back out. So, but arguably she's only trying to get support for getting Oak out of the banquet. Like, after that, it doesn't matter. Well, but she originally says that her thought is to get Oak crowned and then get him out of the banquet. Like, you still have to true. crown him. You have to have Cardin crown him and then take him to live in exile with Vivi, but he's still the king. And then she and Maddox can rule as, like, regents or whatever, but... Other problem, though, if she tells these two people that she really doesn't know, they're strangers to her, that Oak exists... That puts Oak into even more danger because now there's two people who have power that could go after him and use him for their own. Completely agree. I totally get her not putting Oak's name out there or like explaining the fact that she has this secret sibling. Like, I get that. But that doesn't mean she couldn't say, I'm not going to reveal details. I promise you, this person is going to be better than Balakin. There is a secret person in the bloodline that is not Cardin. We're not putting Cardin on the throne. We're putting another Greenbrier on the throne who will be better than Balakin and better than Cardin. Like, she has that opportunity without revealing any information or sources, but she's not doing it at all. And so, like, I'm wondering if Oak is actually going to end up on the throne at the end of the book. I'm, I'm, I'm questioning. I'm not... Like, that could be her little trick loophole. And then she could order Cardin <laughs> to take the crown. Because she has power over him now. Well, I guess we're going to find out. Which is not the worst thing, like, to get, like, ordered to become a king. Like, that's... They're the worst yeah. things that you could be stuck to. But, like, he doesn't want power. Like, I know. I think... Get that vibe. He wants to go drink in a field by himself. He wants to go live a cottage core life. He does. Oh my god. (laughs) He watched too many TikToks. Cottage core carded. (laughs) I love that for him. Uh, We need fan art like that. That would be amazing. (laughs) Okay, anyways, that was all I had for chapter 26, and um, and that's also part of chapter 27. Do you have anything else? Chapter 27, let's go. Okay. Yeah, we did really, we kind of started blending them in. But it's, like, hard not to because it's hard going on. Yeah. Did you, you wanted to say something about the human boy and Jude. 
with Severin? I want to hear. Oh, I was just, this is more like a question. Like, is Jude pretending to be glamoured or is this boy just an idiot? No, I, th- I think that, that Jude's pretending to be glamoured. Okay. Well, she didn't say that explicitly. Like, the last couple of times she's pretended to be glamoured, she lets us know that she's pretending to uh, be glamoured. And she yeah. didn't tell us this time. She was just like, I'm here for Balakin. And then she was like, you're rude, or whatever sarcastic comment she made to the human boy. And, like, that was not as docile as she used to be when she pretended to be glamoured um, in Balakin's uh. house. So I was, it was very confusing to me. Um, but if she's pretending to be glamoured, then that, that whole thing makes sense. I didn't have any other comments on the human boy. We still haven't gotten a name for him, so I'm not sure if he's important or not, but... He might be. <laughs> you are, like, trying to take down notes of every small individual who comes into this book. I'll remember <laughs> a ginger boy. It's, I'm just pretending he's, like, a Weasley that accidentally wandered into here. It's fine. Maybe it's Charlie. Mm. Who knows? I Jude makes a comment, like, towards, I think, the beginning of the chapter about, like, having learned something from Locke about in relation to Oak. I don't even remember what it was, but it made me mad. I was like, don't learn things from Locke. Locke is a bad person. Don't model your behavior after him. Compare your behavior to him. He's doing things for his own enjoyment Mm -hmm. without a care in the world for anyone else's feelings or the subsequent consequences. Oh, it's the story thing. Um, She's not using Oak to, like entertain herself with this story so I don't understand why she's comparing herself to Locke in that sense it just I didn't like it I don't like it I don't like Locke I want to not be mentioning Locke anymore I'm ready for him to be written out of the story I'm done with him yeah I know we'll get more from him and Taryn at some point but I don't want it it's coming Oh, just wait for it. God. Um, I do really love the fact that she's about to, like, right before she commands Cardin to, like, wait there in the clearing or whatever where they are near the Mm -hmm. tents, she gives him a little warning ahead of time. She's like, I'm going to command you now. And, like, warns him so he can, like, mentally prepare himself for a second um, because that's probably really uncomfortable for him to, like, lose his control or, like, have to follow a, a direct order, whatever it yeah. is. Um, and, and, I don't know, it was just a really sincere moment, and I'm, I'm hoping it means that Jude's learning how to be empathetic. I doubt it, but I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then they're little joking about how, like... Cardin doesn't want her to take the whole day because he doesn't want to sit there in boredom while she dies. Like, can they just admit to each other that they're going to miss one another? It's okay. I know, I know. Like, come on. You don't need to make jokes about your boredom. We both know you're just going to miss looking at her and, like, talking to her and exchanging battles of wits. We all know Cardin. We're not idiots. Come on. Well, Jude's an idiot, but, you know, the rest (laughs) of us aren't. I don't feel like Severin is going to help her. Yeah. I don't trust Severin. I don't trust Severin either. He... 
Like, it doesn't exactly seem like he's self-interested. It just seems like he's a scaredy cat. Well, I think he said it, too. Like, he doesn't have a lot of sway, right? Like, he, mm-hmm. it doesn't sound like he has a whole lot going on. So, I think he's just kind of defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so, he's viewing everything like, how is it going to help me and my crew? <laughs> right. Not get murdered the kingdom right um and if Royvin is like "Mm, you're trying to crown a seven-year-old i'm not here to crown a seven-year-old severin's gonna be like i had a conversation with jude what who is that i don't understand nope balakin i support you like as soon as Royvin shows any potential weakness severin's out Mm -hmm. and so i just even with the whole conversation with Royben, I don't think Severin's going to help her. Which is, again, leads back to the whole thing with Cardin that, like, maybe they can't get the whole situation to happen for Cardin to crown Oak and, like, get Oak out safe, whatever. But they can probably very quickly have Oak jam the crown on Cardin's head without really knowing what he's doing and then no one's gonna kill Cardin because he's like a true prince of the Greenbrier line and everyone knows who he is and Balakin can't kill him because then there's no way Balakin will ever get the crown and also Balakin will get cursed. <laughs> I like see your brain right now. <laughs> Am I even close? I'm not going to tell you. I don't know how many times you're going to ask me things and expect me to tell you. I've caved a couple times and that's enough. I just want to know. It's so painful to like have to wait for these big moments in these books. I just want to There's a lot coming happens. up. Oh god, there I'm yeah, that's I was talking to uh Paulina the other day cuz she finished the book and she's like the last like five chapters go way too fast. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> lot to digest, but we're getting. Um, yeah. I, can we also just, not even related to the plot, can we just talk about the fact that the fairies are just, like, sitting in a tent eating Chinese food and fortune cookies? That's what I was gonna <laughs> say. I absolutely love the image of, like, this I'm, like, picturing this, like, old-fashioned tent, like, with some, like, nice decorate, kind of like in Game of Thrones. I'm picturing Narnia, but yeah. (laughs) Okay, that works, too. Um, And, like, they're just seated at a table and, like, sat at a table and just eating from, like, Chinese cartons, like, all these foods and stuff. I love it. I love it. (laughs) I think that's part of why I, like, I don't know, I like Royben so much. It's just, like, this first scene where we meet him, I'm, like... Yeah. <laughs> well, and then he's like, and this is my girlfriend. And I'm like, wait, that's not the kind of language we use here. I know. <laughs> Consort, spouse, wife, like, those are okay. Partner, but, like, that's my girlfriend. Very human of him. Very human, mortal of him. <laughs> right. Exactly. It, it was, Royvin definitely is going to be, like, a mortal sympathizer, I feel like. Ryben, to me, is, like, the ultimate Slytherin. The way that he, like, talks about mm-hmm. things when the, he, she's explaining everything and he's, like, agreeing with her. And you can, like, like kind of like you how you were just doing. Turning, you can yeah. see the gears. But it's, like, a very cunning way of thinking. Like, everything is very, 
I don't know. It, like, fascinates me. Well, it's, like, it's strategic, but it's strategic in a way that, like, will make his life better. It's an ambitious strategic, which is why it's Slytherin. Whereas, like, if it was a Ravenclaw strategist, you would just be having someone that wants to understand all of the potential opportunities and then does a cost-benefit analysis to determine which one's going to be the best, not which one's going to be the best for them particularly. Um, Mm Because, like, in that way, the, the two houses are very similar in how they strategize it's just about the end goal and like the final choice that's made um that that makes the difference between sort of like Ravenclaw and Slytherin strategies but yeah I Raven seems interesting I also think that I haven't read the books yet because I'm gonna wait till we I read all the Folk of the Air books but I also think he's a character in one of the modern fairy tale books Oh, interesting mm-hmm. yeah because I remember seeing his name on the back cover of one of them so I'm excited to read more about him in one of those books as well once we finish good, the trilogy. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, and then my last comment for chapter 27. This entire plan, and this kind of goes into what I was saying, but, like, this entire plan feels tenuous. Yeah. Like, I know she kind of told us what the plan is, but I don't actually think any of us know what the plan is. And she That's... kind of explains something to Cardin, but it doesn't seem like she's either she hasn't told anyone well she told Cardin she needed him to crown oak but like i don't know that that's the true plan like i'm not convinced that that's the true plan because i don't know that she's actually fully thought everything out um and it's really frustrating to me that she's not thinking about her plan (laughs) in her narration Um, like, I get that from a storytelling perspective, you want to keep the mystery for the big moment, but it would, it feels very weird that we're in Jude's head and she's not actively thinking about any of this. It's misleading because she does kind of talk about what her plan is and it's the opposite of what it actually ends up being. So we are being misled on purpose by the author. Right, but that, like, which is fine from a plot storytelling perspective but for you as a ravenclaw you're like give me the information no it, that's i'm i'm totally fine with being misled by the author like that happens yeah. in psychological thrillers all the time i that, i'm fine with that what i don't like is doing that in this narration style because it is unrealistic mm. that a first person narrator in their head wouldn't be thinking about what they're actually going to do and how the choices yeah. that they're making are going to impact their final plan. I mean, it is perfectly possible with what ends up happening. She hasn't fully figured out if she wants to go through with it. Um, so it's possible, like, it's starting to formulate now. And we just haven't gotten to that point yet with her. But I don't think she even thinks about it in, like, her monologues that happen next at all. Like, I think it is basically sprung on us as a big surprise um so yeah i mean you're not wrong with that at all yeah it's just i mean listen i i love i love this book it's just one of those moments where i'm getting really frustrated with the narration style um which you know i'm not the biggest fan of first person narration to begin with 
and especially not with unreliable narrators, but this is, like, <laughs> to a whole new level that is just making me very irritated. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna get over it. It's fine. I don't have to like every chapter. I've liked most of them, so it's okay that this isn't my favorite. But, yeah, that's, that's all I had for chapter 27. Do you have anything else? Um, I don't think so, no. Okay. Should we get into pop culture? Yes, so we should. Okay, what do you got for chapter 26? I have, so I just watched How to Steal a Million again last night, with last night, tonight actually, with my parents, um, with Peter O'Toole and Audrey Hepburn, such a good movie. Which I recommend. <laughs> yeah, you've, you, your entire family's recommended it to me at least three times. Uh, and the kiss kind of recomm- uh, reminded me of Audrey and Peter O'Toole's first kiss in that movie, where neither of them are really expecting it, mm-hmm. and they're kind of bickering a bit, like things are like not, they're like, it's like kind of tense between them, and Peter O'Toole's character Simon is kind of making moves very subtly and audrey's character nicole is not picking up on them at all and she's kind of annoyed with him and she's like what's going on rather than jude being the first one to make a move it's actually simon in that case who makes the move but like then she kind of like realizes like oh like this kind of feels nice what's happening right now and for the rest of the movie they're like hmm what's bubbling underneath the surface like i don't like him but like there's something going on here (laughs) i love that that whole like the whole thing about, like, um, uh, the possibility of kissing them is always there or whatever. Like, it's yeah. the entire movie. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought of that. I just watched it again tonight. It's so cute. Anyway, um, and then the whole drowning, the way she's talking about, like, feeling like she's drowning. This is a, not a TV or movie reference at all, but there's a song by Two Feet called Drowning, and I just, like, immediately thought of it because the whole song is about how you feel like you're, like, drowning in love and you don't have any self-control, and, like, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. It's not a happy love song. It's, like, a, like, I don't like this. Like, I have no self-control, and I'm drowning in it, but, like, I want to drown it, drown in it, so. Great song. And I'll then, yeah, Two Feet is great for, like, darker vibes i used mm. to have him on my uh, six of crows playlist but you took it off so is it in the archive then, playlist it might be i don't know i started the archive playlist kind of late so i was like how many of your six of I crows playlists do i follow on spotify <laughs> i also have the regular so i have the the cas one and then the regular one I right i think it might be on the regular one if i didn't i don't know i'll double anyway, check later it's all good i digress <laughs> um then the whole lake thing with her mother in it remind me of a very twisted mirror of Erised from Harry mm. Potter. I think, I don't, have we talked about that before? But, like, it, the way that she saw her mother and, like, she talked at the beginning about wanting she would look into the lake to, like, see her parents because she missed them so much, or yeah. her mother. Um, and then we get Maddox coming in and it kind of ruins the moment and turns it into like a more nightmare scenario but yeah i thought it was sweet i the way she's like you should run like i'm sorry what (laughs) that's not sweet but like no like getting to see how much maddox loved her mom like in person because she never interacted with maddox and her mom like in the same place I'm st- I'm a Maddox apologist. You know this. About <laughs> you are. <me>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
I don't know where this comes from. I'm normally, like, not supportive of anybody even remotely close to a villainous character, but I just, I love Ollie Black's writing is too good, I guess. Yeah. Daddy Maddox, he's one of my faves. (laughs) Is that it? Yeah. That's all I had. Um, so... I first this isn't actually a pop culture reference but before I get into mine um I feel like my happy go lucky song for Cardin and Jude is accidentally in love the one from the Shrek soundtrack <laughs> oh god I would love to see that playing during their first kiss <laughs> so you said what's the problem baby <laughs> just make it into a rom-com <laughs> I well I mean a couple chapters ago they were in a buddy cops so <laughs> I mean, they're going through all the arcs. They really are. They're hitting every genre. I love it. Every trope. Um, anyways, I just because you said that, it made me think of that because that's the first song that pops into my head every time I think of them from like a happy perspective. Uh, okay, but for pop culture, this is purely imagery. So not even the love part, like what you were talking about, but when Jude talks about the swimming out to sea and like feeling the cold black water closing over your head, the imagery of that reminded me of Elsa trying to get off of the <laughs> island frozen too. Okay. Because the water is like pitch black and she's like running out to try to escape and then she keeps getting like sucked under and like pummeled by the waves. And so, again, purely imagery, it just made me think of that, because I thought that was a very, like, visually impactful part of the movie, and the the teaser trailer as well. Uh, And then Jude makes a comment about her promises being, like, enchanted gold and turning back into leaves later, which I don't know if we've made this connection before. We may have. I honestly can't remember how many pop culture references we've made about this book. (laughs) But the way that she said it reminded me of the leprechaun gold from Harry Potter with Ron promising Mm. to pay Harry back and then the money turning into nothing. Because it's like, (laughs) he makes this promise and he gives him all of this money and then it's actually useless and I feel like all of Jude's promises are like that. (laughs) She's basically Ron Weasley. It makes sense. Um, (laughs) Ron would be offended, but okay. (laughs) Ron would be offended. He doesn't like Slytherins very much. Uh, And then when she's at the Lake of Masks, I'm getting, again, like, big... I think we talked about this last time we talked about the Lake of Masks, but, like, Arya from Game of Thrones vibes. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, like, combining that with Simba and, like, seeing (laughs) Mufasa in the water. (laughs) So if you combine their two arcs, it's two very different connections. Yes. Gryffindor and Slytherin, just putting it together, you know? <laughs> it works. And then, this is language specific, but Cardin's oath reminds me of Adam and his oath to Cabiswater to be the eyes and the ears mm, yeah, of Cabiswater, where he's like, I will be your shield. Um, wait, what does he say again? I already forgot. Uh, I, will act as, I will act as your hand. I will act as your shield. Like, that part felt very reminiscent of Adam being like, I will be your eyes, I will be your ears. It's also kind of... um, And it's going to come back to bite him in the butt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. It's a bit of an unbreakable vow to Harry Potter. Yeah, exactly. So dumb. Poor Adam. So dumb. 
<laughs> yeah, poor Adam. That was rough for him in the last couple of books. It was rough to watch him go through that. I want to reread Raven Cycle already. I loved those books. That's I'm going to get... I told my mom, I was like, Mom, if you're going to get me anything for my birthday, get me a box set of Raven Cycle. Oh. <laughs> so I can have it on my bookshelf since I borrowed it from Julia last time I read it. Um, okay, chapter 27. What do you got? I have one. Okay. Severin's name... Mm-hmm. Reminds me of Severus Snape. Yes. Every time I see it, I cannot. So, like, literally in my head, when I, when Severin is talking, I am picturing Severus Snape. Which is hilarious, because Severus Snape is who I picture when we talk about Cardiff. <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Cardin's obviously hotter than young Severus Snape. Yeah, for sure. But, same Yeah. Thing. That's fair. I anyway, mean, that was all I had. <laughs> Sever- we have our own Severus Snape references, I guess. Yeah. Well, and, like, Severin, for me, just reminds me again of Severin from Gilded Wolves. Um, but I made that connection last time, so I didn't I didn't write that down this time. Um, okay, so when Jude... And now that I, like, am visually thinking about it again, I don't actually think this makes as much sense but when she when I first read it when she was talking about like the tents of all of the different courts and stuff I was and like how you have the sealy courts and the unsealy courts and like they don't necessarily get along but like they're all in one place together it reminded me a lot of the Quidditch World Cup and all of the tents like sprawled out haphazardly but you have like the Irish zone and the (laughs) Romanian zone um so that that was my first one and then you're going to laugh at this one, but Jude realizing that she kind of needs to practice her royalness um, or like her self-assuredness so that she can give off this vibe that she is actually associated with the royal family. Cyrus. Anastasia, when she's going through oh! the lessons with Dimitri and Vlad. <laughs> That's a good one. I kind of like that. That's my all-time favorite movie, besides Prime Princess. <laughs> yes. I like that reference. I was just, like, singing the song from the musical in my head the entire time. Like, when she's going through the princess lessons, and she's like, and I recall the yellow cat. And I'm like, yeah, we need that. (laughs) Jude needs to know about the yellow cats. And Cardin's trying to teach her, but she doesn't want to listen very well, so. (laughs) We're just missing a Vlad. (laughs) Maybe maybe the roach is the closest we'll get to a Vlad. (laughs) Well, but no, because, like, Cardin knows all the stuff about the royal families, which is what Vlad yeah. did. So it's, like, if Vlad was also Dimitri. Which is a weird <laughs> yeah. thought. It's a really weird thought. But that's what Cardin, he's playing both roles, basically. Okay. Just not, oh, obviously the... not playing in the fatherly way. Just the information we'll the part. entire thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's, anyways, that was the vibe I was getting. Um... Because she has to, like, Anastasia has to embody the royal spirit, not just know the words and know the facts. But she has to have this, like, prim and proper self-assuredness. Whereas Mia doesn't get (laughs) anything close to princess-like until book, like, six. No. Ten, (laughs) honestly. She's she's a mess. (laughs) She never really becomes a full princess, but yeah. She really doesn't. Um, Okay. And then I... This... The absent-minded touching, um, 
of the ear where he's just like slowly like lazily touching her and she's like wait a second wait a second wait a second and he just keeps doing it and he's like oh wait I probably shouldn't be doing this it reminds me a lot of like early days of Reese and Farah in Akatar, um which I know you're not gonna I again yeah. don't think you need to read these books but so Reese is one of the bad boys and he ends up being also spoiler for Akatar and Akamath for the next like I don't know minute, um, but he ends up being the mate of Feyre even though she, he's not the one that she falls in love with in the first book. She falls in love with Tamlin, and so but he knows that they're mates and that they're like meant to be together, or like has an inkling that there's something there between them that's like stronger than just attraction and he makes all of these deals with her in the first book to get close to her and then like will absentmindedly just like rub her sides or like hold her hand or stuff and she's just like angry about it the entire time because she doesn't want to be anywhere near him and he's just like in love with her (laughs) and so he keeps finding ways to be close to Because, like, he couldn't help himself because they had this really strong bond, even though neither of them knew what that bond exactly was yet. And so Mm. I was getting similar-ish vibes, though on a much more PG scale with Cardin and (laughs) Jude (laughs) than with Feyre and Reese, because those, they're wild. Oh, God. Um, Okay, and then uh, Jude made a really interesting point when she was talking about um, talking to Roybin, and Roybin asks her name, and she's like, oh, well, true names don't have any power over mortals. And I was like, wait, is that a part of the magic system in this world? We have true names now? Like, what? Because it just reminds me of Aragon. Yeah. Because they have, like, the true names, and if you know the true name of a person, it you'll control them and so I'm wondering what that magic system looks like in this world does that does that come to play later on or is that just like an offhanded comment I think it's just an offhanded comment I I think I took it when I read it more as like a she's not trying to cover up who she is Mm, okay, yeah, the way she worded it was, like, very reminiscent of, like, elvish true names, and I was like, oh, shit, that's some I binding wrong, magic, but, but yeah. if if you don't recall anything coming out off the top of your yeah, head, then I, I think, think we're, we're probably fine, because, like, we haven't gotten an inkling that any of them oh, have a name. I remember why. It's because of the Court of Shadows, and they're supposed to have, like, nicknames to conceal who they oh. are. Oh. Yeah. And she doesn't have any. Got it. But it's still not the same, like, magic binding system that you have in Aragon. It's more so that they just would have a harder time spying. Okay, cool. So then I guess it doesn't really remind me of Aragon, but the way that it was written reminded me of Aragon. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Okay, and then Roybin's, like, bored demeanor with everything like he's asking questions but it seems like he doesn't care one way or the other how everything plays out I think that's just how he's trying to come across which is fine but like his general disinterest and like mildness in dealing with Jude reminded me a lot of Marcus from Twilight (laughs) where Arrow's like ooh ooh 
oh, yes, let me read your thoughts. And then Caius is like, all of you need to die. I hate everyone. And then Marcus is like, is it lunch yet? <laughs> Why are we here? I'm bored. <laughs> so Robin was reminding me of Marcus. Like, he probably has a lot of, lot of power and is a very terrifying person but you don't actually know why you fear him and that's what makes him extra scary Hmm. was the vibe i was getting that'll probably change once we learn to know him more but in this one particular chapter the way he was interacting that was the the vibe i was getting and then also twilight related but the whole situation of us not knowing the plan even though like we should know the plan reminds me of how they did the movie for Breaking Dawn Part 2 with the whole battle scene where like everyone starts dying and the first time you see that movie you're like emotionally invested you're like Carlisle's dead Alice is dead what is happening why is everyone dying this is a nightmare this is the worst thing I've ever seen and then you realize at the end you're like oh Alice was just showing him a vision none of this is real we've been completely misled and just wasted 40 minutes of our time cool 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 that's yeah, I the never vibe saw it, but... <laughs> I think it's one of the best Twilight <laughs> movies, personally. Okay. <laughs> um, but that, so basically what happened, did you read the books? Yeah, I did. Okay, so in... But, like, a long time ago. Like well, that's, that's 12, fine, but in... 12 years ago. In Breaking Dawn, the, the book, what happens, right, is Alice comes with, like, the other hybrid vampire that's, like, Renezme, and she's like, look, there's a possibility for everyone to be happy, they'll grow, they won't, they can eat food, that blah, 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 whatever. And so they go through this whole thing, it's not an immortal child, everyone leaves happy, there's not, like, a huge, massive battle, even though they've trained for one. In the movie, they psych you out, and they start showing the movie with a battle and all of the main characters start Mm. dying and you're like wait 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 (laughs) like (laughs) everyone was crying in the theater it was a whole big deal like when we first went and saw the movie and then they stop and all of a sudden it like rewinds all into alice's head and alice is just showing arrow what's gonna happen if he instigates a fight and he's going to die if he does it, so then he doesn't instigate the fight. So you spend, gotcha. like, 35 minutes in a battle scene that doesn't ever actually happen. Oh, God. I was so irritated. And so I'm, <laughs> I'm getting the vibes that that's what's going to happen here. That Jude is misleading me into thinking it's one way. And then she's going to completely rewind. I'm going to be upset. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess we'll find out. Yep. Yep. Anyway, so that's uh, that's my pop culture. MVPs. Julia, who is, who's your MVP? I am going to give it to Ribbon. I know he only comes in at the very end of chapter 27, but I just like the way he thinks. I think it's really interesting how calculating he is mm-hmm. um, and how it always kind of feels like he's one step ahead of Jude, but he never tells her. Like, he lets her think that she is that she knows what's kind of, going she on. She has yeah. control over everything, and in reality, like, he's already thought of that, and, like, this is his answer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just kind of wants to see how her mind works to kind mm-hmm. of see if it matches his own, which I think is so interesting. So, yeah, I'm giving it to, to him. How about yours? Can you guess who I'm giving it to? Corden? Yeah. 
Oh, God. Okay, let's hear it. Okay, so I... Cardin is nothing but supportive in these chapters. Like, Jude instigates the kiss, and he, like, is tentative at first, and then realizing that she's not pulling away, he lets himself get lost in the moment, but backs off when she starts getting weird. He like, supports her with the Court of Shadows and, like, builds her up, is her hype man on the side. He swears this oath just to make her feel more comfortable, even though it's gonna bite him in the ass in the long run. And he is nothing but helpful in, like, giving her information, giving her advice, telling her how she should go about doing things, where she can actually go get support, and just, like, information sharing with everything he's learned in his you know whatever 17 18 years as a as a prince um he's just like the ultimate support character in these two chapters and i love him for it like we don't spend a lot of time with any of the characters severin is shady jude is irritating me and so cardin's kind of all this (laughs) true plus i love him fair 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 yeah um, okay, what about your wine review? I am giving this an 8 out of 10. Mm. It's like a German Spätburgunder is what I would pair it with. I think it's very grounded, but there's still like a lot going on. You're not There's not really a lot of acidity, but like there's some sweetness without being overwhelming. You, there's a lot to take in. Um, there's not a whole lot much more to say about it because it's just like there's a lot to to taste on the tongue um and it pairs well with a lot of different foods like maybe it could pair well with chinese food i don't think so but (laughs) that would have been interesting but yeah eight out of ten fair fair um i think for my wine review it's going to be pretty low there's not really a lot of angst in these chapters it's just it's very plot driven things keep moving really really quickly yeah um and you know, I think anything that they're expressing about their feelings is, like, normal teenage feelings about a situation, but they're not, like, getting in their heads about anything. Like, Jude a little bit gets in her head about, like, how she feels about Cardin, um, which is probably what's driving there being points here at all. But, like, Cardin's just going with the flow. He's like, she wants to make out with me. I'll make it work. Great. She doesn't. I'll make it work. Great. Like, he's just (laughs) going with the flow. And then Jude's just like, do it. I don't know. <laughs> but that's, you know, how teenage process, teenagers process emotions. So I'm not going to begrudge her too much for that. Um, so I'm going to go, I'm going to go low. I'm going to go a, a two out of ten this week because it was mostly. That sounds fair. Mostly plot, yeah. not a lot of angst. Um, and yeah. All right. I mean, that is pretty much it. So thanks everyone for for listening. Um, you should follow us on social media. Julia promises she will post soon. Now that her classes are done, my classes are done. <laughs> um, wow. And uh, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Unnecessary Angst Pod. You can follow us on Twitter at Unangst Pod. And you can also send us an email. Talk about, you know, your favorite books, the books that we're reading, books that you want us to read, ask for recommendations, whatever it may be. Just to chat with us. We're good with that, too. Uh, you can email us at UnnecessaryAngstPod at gmail.com. And with that, we'll let you all go for this week. It was so nice talking about the book with you, Julia. (laughs) Can't wait till we figure out what happens next week. I'm sure it's going to be a doozy. Um, And we'll talk to you all soon.
Thanks so much. Bye.